financial services is known to be very tough. And traders trading all sorts of things. Volatility in the foreign exchange market. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. U.S. stocks halt their rally as uh, Greeks debate the deal while bonds advance. China's growth rates beat forecasts, but stocks spiral downwards and the SFC suspends trading for Hanaji. Uh, we'll be talking with Bocom's Hao Hong on uh, the latest on China's market update. That's this morning. Uh, and uh, we'll also be talking uh, with Luca Silipo, Geodesis Luca Silipo, that is, uh, about the China economic data that was released yesterday. And finally, we'll talk with Gartner's research director in Australia about their findings on IT spending. Well, Janet Yellen has delivered her testimony to Congress. Her tone was upbeat despite attacks from the Republicans. And as to interest rates, here's what she said. Conditions likely would make it appropriate at some point this year to raise the federal funds rate target. What matters for financial conditions in the broader economy is the entire expected path of interest rates. We have no judgment about at this point about the appropriate date to raise the federal funds rate. An advantage to beginning a little bit earlier is that we might um, have uh, a more gradual path of rate increases. We're not going to raise rates if we think it's going to tip the economy into a recession. Doing so when we finally begin in a deliberate and gradual way, looking at what the impact of those decisions are on the economy strikes me as a prudent, a prudent uh, approach. But I do think the economy has improved a great deal and Um, In a way, I'm focused on the economy's strength and its good performance rather than mainly lying awake at night and worrying about a further downturn. U.S. stocks snapped their longest rally since January as Greek lawmakers debated a new bailout package amid protests outside parliament. Anti-austerity protesters hurled petrol bombs at police who fought back with tear gas in Athens outside parliament. And inside parliament, Prime Minister Alexis Tsipras has been battling a revolt against his own governing party and is replying on, uh, is re- relying, excuse me, on opposition support to pass legislation demanding by the country's creditors in return for a bailout package. The BBC's Europe editor Katya Adler was in Athens. This had been billed as Judgment Day for Greece, the day the Prime Minister tried to squeeze tough reforms through Parliament to prove to mistrustful creditors abroad that he was in control of the situation at home. But that's not quite as it turned out. You just see that there's just firebombs at these police demonstrators. The peaceful protesters have all disappeared from the street. From the streets, they wanted a better future for their country. This is definitely not what they had in mind. The violence began with small groups of masked troublemakers. Until then, the thousands of protesters here had been peaceful, if angry. It's a prison for people. It's a prison for all. No education, uh, no health, uh, no 
anything. Uh, we don't want euro. We don't want to be in this prison of eurozone. It's not just the euro. Certain countries are being singled out for the harshest punishment. I just don't want it to go on like this. I have, I'm like 25 years old. I'm supposed to have a future. My brothers are supposed to have a future, you know? The atmosphere inside Parliament was stormy too. Many MPs are furious with the Greek Prime Minister for agreeing to a bailout deal which, in their opinion, humiliates their country. The Parliament is voting on a package of tax increases, pension reforms and a commitment to liberalise the labour market. Once this is agreed, Greece is hoping for a short-term cash injection by Monday to avoid bankruptcy. Finally, when these measures are in place, the Eurozone will start the process of agreeing a possible 86 billion euro bailout deal. This could take at least a month. The Deputy Finance Minister has resigned in disgust. The Dow Jones eased three points to 18,050. The S&P 500 and NASDAQ both closed about a tenth of a percent lower at 2,107 and 5,098 respectively. In China, the mainland economy expanded by 7% in the second quarter of this year, better than expected and unchanged from the previous quarter. Other economic indicators showed growth in retail sales and industrial production picked up slightly. Fixed assets investment also grew 11.4% in June, same as the previous month. A spokesman from the National Bureau of Statistics, Sheng Layun, said that the economy was growing steadily. In the first half of the year, China's economy showed modest but steady growth. In the first half of the year, faced with the complicated action on domestic economic conditions and increasingly downward pressure, the Central Party Committee and the State Council have made progress while maintaining stability. The Chinese economy has been performing within a reasonable range and the major indicators picking up steadily, showing moderate but stable and sound momentum of development. Despite this, mainland share markets resumed their downward spiral. They tumbled by more than 3% yesterday. The Hang Seng Index was also down a quarter of a percent. The Securities and Futures Commission has ordered a trading suspension of shares in mainland solar panel producer Hanaji, a rare move by the watchdog. Maggie Ho reports. The suspension order comes more than a month after the commission announced a formal investigation into the company. The probe was launched about a week after suspected manipulation of the company's shares. They sank 47% in the first hour of trading on May 20th, having surged sixth-fold in the previous eight months. The shares were suspended at the company's request from then until now. The commission can call for a suspension when it believes the company has distributed misleading, false or incomplete information. Past experience shows a suspension can cause serious consequences for the company in question. In 2013, the assets of Qingxing Paper were subsequently frozen after the commission ordered the trading suspension of the company's shares. Trading has remained suspended until now. In a more serious case in 2010, the commission ordered a trading halt in Hontex shares, which were eventually delisted. The company in question this time, Hanergy, is accused of inflating its sales figures. The local stock exchange is said to have asked the company to hand over the accounts of its mainland parent company, which is a privately held entity. All right, let's bring in our first guest for this morning, Hao Hong, who is the Managing Director of Research at Bocom International. Good morning, Hao. Morning. 
So uh, China's GDP number wasn't too disappointing. Why are stocks down again? Because it is only stabilizing in the eyes of official statistics. If you look at higher frequency economic data, it's all pointing a continuing slowdown uh, from the first quarter. Um, especially if you look at the steel production, electricity output, uh, freight shipment growth, uh, and loan growth, uh, many of these indicators are actually trending down. So, and these are leading indicators. So, I found it um, a little difficult to believe <laughs> what the official numbers are painting a picture to us. So, okay, so all of these uh, statistics that you mentioned are the key growth drivers traditionally for the Chinese economy, yes? Uh, That's correct. And, uh, okay, so, you know, in the past, we have always seen these patterns whereby Chinese stocks are just not in lockstep with the condition of the economy. So what you're painting right now is a little bit of a different picture. You're saying, well, you know what? They are correlated. Yeah, well... The stock market uh, has very little to do with uh, how the, the how the economy was performing in the past year uh, on the way up and now on the way down. It has also has very little things to do with uh, yesterday's uh, volatility in in the market. Uh, yesterday there was another news that is probably more important for the market than the economic statistics. Um, yesterday, actually, the CSRC continued its investigation uh, into the margin lending practice uh, and trying to uh, put a stop on the non-brokerage channel lending uh, and, and, and monitor risks uh, in those channels. Uh, so that caused some concern in the market. Uh, people were uh, worried that there would be more forced closure in some of the margin trading accounts that it's not done through brokerage channel. And I think that is causing uh, volatility yesterday. In terms of official figure, um, even though in the second quarter, more likely than not, we have a continuing slowdown in the Chinese economy. But you know, in the second quarter, we also see an acceleration of approval of government projects. Now uh, we're seeing a small pickup in property sales because of a buoyant equity market. Um, and therefore, going into the second half of the year, we're hoping that some of those measures um, will so show some positive effects on the economic, economic growth um, and that would stabilize or even push economic growth to pick up in the second half of this year. How can you explain for our listeners a little more this point about the scrutiny on the margin lending? I mean, how much of a, uh, a worse situation is this likely to get? Uh, in the beginning of this year, we have one trillion uh, margin lending balance uh, through the brokerage channel. At the peak of the market uh, in June, we had two and a half trillion. So in less than six months, uh, margin lending practice through the brokerage channel, which is monitored by the CSRC, has grown 150%. Uh, this is just tremendous. And just imagine outside this brokerage channel where it's less monitored or even not monitored uh, by the regulators. Um, I, I think margin, margin trading through those channels probably grown even faster than the official channel. And that has been causing trouble um, for uh, stock trading, especially in the past couple of weeks. 
Um, how you know Chinese stocks? I mean, there seems to be this great divergence of opinion. Many people feel that they are overvalued. Other analysts are saying that, oh well, you know, if you look at banks and eight shares, well, that's not too bad. Uh, what's your view? Are Chinese stocks overvalued or not? Uh, part of the part of the market is overvalued, especially the China export uh, and the smaller smaller cap stocks. They're still trading after the substantial correction. They're still trading at about eighty to hundred times PE. Uh, they're very expensive, and, and you're right to point out that banks and some other companies are cheaper. And these are the major index components for the Chinese market. And that is why uh, the sovereign money is trying to buy up the shares in order to stabilize the market. But you know, having said all that, you know, even if you look at the PetroChina, which is the heaviest index component in the Shanghai Composite, um, PetroChina is actually the most expensive oil company in the world. So, so we're putting in sovereign money to buy into these stocks to stabilize the market. But you know, gradually we'll, we'll realize that you know because. They are very large cap stocks and they're soaking up liquidity. But then on the other hand, uh, the smaller cap stocks are still trading at a very high multiple and they're still going through the bubble bursting process. I see. So where would you say you are finding value? I would say the larger cap uh, blue chips, uh, they're still off lower valuation. Uh, Banks are still trading at uh, single digit or even 10 times PE. Uh, so those are the things that we found more attractive. But then, having said all that, if you if you look at the if you look at the um, uh, composition of the index, if you bind to many of these large cap blue chips, even though they are of lower valuation, but you're guaranteed not to outperform the market. That's that the dilemma that mutual fund managers are facing. And one last question before we wrap up the segment: Hanergy. You know, why has trading been suspended now, a whole month later? Uh, I guess, I, well, to the best of my knowledge, um, many people have been questioning the business practice of this company. Uh, it's, it's very difficult to, to say without much data and information uh, how much investigation has gone uh, into this company in the past months. Um, the company has been suspended trading for a month now, and I'm sure that you know the regulators have been collecting data uh, and information on the company, and also because the stock performance has been <laughs> nothing short of stellar uh, in the past year, uh, and there are some irregularities and causing people's concern. Um, I would say that now, I think for the best interest for for everybody in the market, uh, to probably suspend trading and investigate further into this company. All right, Hao Hong, thank you so much uh, for joining us this morning on Money for Nothing. Hao Hong is the Managing Director of Research at Bocom International. Let's take a quick look at the numbers uh, now. The Nikkei is up half a percent this morning to 20,578. Australia's ASX 200 is up two tenths of a percent to 5,634, and Seoul's Kospi up 0.01% to 2,073. In Currencies, the euro is currently valued at 1.09 US dollars. The US dollar is trading at 123.91 yen. And one pound sterling buys you 
12 Hong Kong dollars and 11 cents and one US dollar and 56 cents. All right, uh, let's bring our next guest into the conversation now. We have Luca Silipo, who is the chief research officer at uh, Geodis, uh, which is a supply chain strategic lab, you know, at their supply chain strategic lab. Good morning, Luca. Morning. And welcome back to Money for Nothing. Thanks. So, Luca, in looking at this China GDP, at, at first glance, it looks like stability. Uh, but to the extent, perhaps, that growth was supported by gains from the stock market, could it be sustained without any further stimulus? What do you think? No, I disagree that the, the growth was sustained by the stock market gains. I mean, this is not so immediate and and so it cannot have an effect, uh, an immediate effect like this. Uh, also disagree uh, partly with what your previous guest said. It's all this industrial production and freight, you know, these are, yeah, he said uh, it, they are advanced indicator, but they are advanced indicator of what China used to be, right, mm. of a model of growth that China is willing to abandon in uh, in exchange for a more stable consum- semi-consumption-led uh, growth model, which is what China is aiming at uh, since uh, the third plenum uh, back in 2013. So y- we cannot separate what we're seeing today uh, on data from what China really wants to wants to do and how our policy has been uh, directed uh, through these through these goals. So I think that what what you're seeing and what you you will continue to see is an economy that is changing um, engines of growth. Um, and this is going to happen not without some further uh, slowing down of the economy. By the way, if you want a consumption-led growth, you cannot have six or seven or eight percent growth because otherwise you get inflation immediately so what what is going to happen is that if china is successful in its um its its target of uh, having a consumption-led growth or at least a consumption rate of 50 or 60 percent like any other advanced uh, economies then uh, growth will have to go down and and will have to go down in a very healthy way and stabilize around between four and six in the next maybe three or four years Okay, so certainly that does make uh, sense. I mean, to support your argument, retail uh, figures were actually up and uh, steel, as we know, has come down. So how soon or how long will it take for China to actually redefine itself as this different kind of economy, which is consumption based? We've been talking about it for a long time, but it still seems to be going through this transition also for a long time. Yeah, you know, people think that, uh, you know, it's like a monopoly game and you can change gears and like this and everything. It's easy. That's a 1.3 billion and counting economy. And, uh, and of course, you have full controls when you are in power. Uh, and so it's relatively easy to uh, implement policies. But then you have to completely change the way an economy of 1.3 billion people work. And this takes time. And I think that we have to, you know, praise Chinese authorities to keep this peaceful for now and hopefully also in the future. But it will take time and uh, and and it will take time. And I'm sure that as growth goes uh, south, people will continue to say this is a hard landing and, and credit situation is unsustainable and so forth. But what is what what I see from data 
uh, I see a very gradual and very controlled uh, change in engines uh, that is going to go on for 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 a long for a long time, and I would say maybe two or three years before GDP really stabilizes to this new normal rate around five percent. But, Luca, the country's debt levels have increased at an even faster pace, and the government is trying very hard to slow down the pace of leveraging up, but they're not deleveraging per se. Does this mean that the debt-to-GDP ratio will rise? Well, you know, we have we have had debt crisis in the past. We had one recently in Europe, right? I mean, yeah, you get you go through very hard times because uh, you instead of a slow deleverage, you have uh, you have people, you know, bankrupt people and companies in bankrupt, and so it's harsh. Uh, but this has been done in the past, and it doesn't derail how an economy works. Um, and so I think that the 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 increase in debt in China. In a way, it's instrumental to what they're going to do, because if you want, you know, consumption takes over investment in a rather gradual way because you have to change the habits of consumers and habit of consumers in a country with a relatively little uh, welfare welfare state takes time. Mm -hmm. And so if you want the consumption, I mean, if, if, you, if you want to reduce the, the, the gap that would be between the switchover between investment and consumption, then you have to let them consume in a quicker way. And so probably debt increase, some of the debt increase in is, is instrumental to this. And the one that is not instrumental, the one that is in excess, probably it will end up with a crisis uh, sometime down the road. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the, the issue is that you need, this, you need this now. You will go through a crisis. There has been many others. The important thing is that the crisis does not derail the process of reforms. Luca, real quick before we wrap up the segment, you know, imports in June were down 6% from a year earlier, whereas exports in June were up uh, almost 3% in dollar terms. Do the low imports indicate weak domestic demands? Once again, it indicates this, this, this transition, and this transition is also, you know, having more and more producers internally that can produce the, the close to the quality level that you can see in foreign goods. And I think that this is very clear. So it indicates, because on the other side, spending is going higher. So it, it really means that you have a, you have a substitution of, uh, of, uh, of foreign good with domestic goods. And this is going, this is continuing, this is, this, this will continue, uh, as, also the quality of goods that are produced in China, consumer goods that are produced in China is going to increase. All right, Luca, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Luca Silipo, and he is the chief research officer at uh, of the supply chain and strategic lab at Geodis. Well, IT research company Gartner forecasts that IT spending will reach almost 231.2 billion Hong Kong dollars in 2015, which is an increase of 13.6% from last year. Well, then this is while worldwide IT spending is expected to decline 5.5%. Let's uh, talk to their research director in Australia, Australia Derry Finkelday. Good morning, Derry. Good morning, Renita. Derry, why is it that IT spending is up in Hong Kong but down elsewhere in the world? When we look at the overall, uh, overall worldwide IT spending forecast, in US dollar terms, we're forecasting a decline of about 5.5%. However, in the main, that can be attributed to the decline um, 
to the rising US dollar against many other uh, currencies. So if we look at it in constant currency terms, the market's still growing. So there's that. So overall, the market is still growing. Obviously, in some parts of the world, um, there's more tension. In Europe, there is uh, sort of more decline and more constraint around spending. Uh, but in Asia, the market is still fairly robust. When we look at Hong Kong specifically, though, there's something quite interesting happening um, in the local market. And that is um, the overall market growth is really, really being driven and uh, sort of disproportionately, if you like, in comparison to some other markets in Asia because of the very high proportion of the market that, is, um, that goes to uh, spending on mobile devices, um, particularly mobile phones. And um, a lot of that spent... So that's a very, very high growth is forecast for that in 2015 of over 30%. Um, but a lot of that spending that's happening in Hong Kong and captured in Hong Kong uh, isn't necessarily all for the uh, local Hong Kong market. So it's also because of um, a lot of on-selling that happens um, from Hong Kong providers onto other countries in Asia and uh, visitors to Hong Kong, particularly from China, who are buying phones and then taking them back to their country. So aside from phones, are there other areas, uh, you know, that uh, come to mind when you talk specifically about IT spending? I mean, things like e-commerce, communications, um, Internet of Things, or is it specifically phone, phone communications? No, um, the forecast in general looks um, across all the different types of uh, spending categories. In general, we probably wouldn't include Internet of Things because a lot of that is what we would call operational technology. So it's not uh, traditionally bought by your um, usual IT department or IT buyers, um, but it certainly incorporates other types of spending, like spending on communication services, data services, um, mobile phones uh, services as opposed to the devices, and um, then all your hardware, your, you know, your data centre spending, your enterprise applications, your personal applications, and the... Um, IT services. So we're seeing, for instance, um, that you know there's variation in which parts are growing. Still, very robust spending in the enterprise market on things like business services, so consulting and implementation. All right, Strong, thank you um, so much, Derry. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of time. That is Derry Finkelday, and she is a research director for Gartner. Uh, calling from Australia. Let's take a quick look at the numbers now. The Nikkei is up uh, half a percent this morning to 20,556. Australia's ASX 200 uh, is up four-tenths of a percent to 5,643. And Sol's Cosby up 0.09% to 2,074. Gold currently stands at $1,146 per ounce and Brent crude oil at $57.40. Well, here we are at the end of the show, end of another Money for Nothing uh, with me, Renita Malhotra Hora. Uh, let's take a quick look at the weather forecast for today. We'll have sunny periods and also a few showers. It will be mainly hot with a maximum temperature of around 33 degrees. Right now, the temperature is 29 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 80%. Time for the half-hour news summary with Samantha Butler. 
Greek MPs have approved a tough set of bailout conditions imposed by the European Union. Brussels had said the parliament must accept its demands before talks on a new rescue package for the Greek economy could begin. The Prime Minister Alexis Tsipras addressed parliament before the vote. For this fight, I feel proud. Because with self-denial, we have fought for the right of our people. We have fought a battle that wasn't equal. It was very difficult. The BBC's Mark Lowen has more on the story. In the end, the vote passed as expected. 228 MPs for and 64 MPs voted against austerity measures as Alexis Tsipras's government fractured in the process. Earlier on, clashes broke out as petrol bombs were thrown and tear gas fired in front of Parliament. There's a lasting sense that the deal may not actually work. The Prime Minister reiterated his view that debt restructuring is crucial, but it still remains something the Eurozone is not willing to accept. President Obama has stressed that the deal reached on Tuesday over Iran's nuclear program presents a once-in-a-lifetime chance to pursue a safer world. Under the agreement, strict limits will be imposed on Iran's nuclear activities in return for the lifting of crippling economic sanctions. In a televised address, Mr Obama said Iran's ability to build a nuclear weapon will now be severely restricted. With this deal, we cut off every single one of Iran's pathways